0: I'll be reading um, from the New International Version, Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This is the word of the Lord. He is a good, good father who. Showers us with His grace, so we have no reason to grumble. This is the final of a three-part series on moving from grumbling to grace. We talked two weeks ago. There are three places in the Gospels where grumbling takes place. One is in Jesus' parable of the laborers in the vineyard. When everyone gets paid the same, grace abounds for everyone in, in, in equal amounts which was so scandalous. And then last week we talked about the wee little man named whom? Zacchaeus, right? And we were uh, led with uh, the kids singing that in such a wonderful fashion. The last place the grumbling takes place is what was read just a moment ago, uh, right before Jesus launches into three of his best-known parables. But you have these uh, Pharisees and religious folk who are grumbling, And they're basically judging Jesus in the same way that they had already been judging the people that Jesus was hanging out with, these low-life sinners. Well, have things changed much? Have we advanced much as far as judging other people? It's been 2,000 years Uh, In 2012, just five years ago, uh, an interesting book came out called Unchristian. Anybody heard of that? Unchristian. The subtitle, well, it's UnChristian. subtitle is What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity and Why It Matters. And why it matters is uh, they did this extensive survey through the Barna Research Group and they were surveying people who were unchurched and they were looking at the perception of those unchurched people at churched people. And what they thought. And so there's some troubling statistics that we could look at. Uh, First of all, 87%, this is unchurched people as they perceived church people. 87%, that's that's almost 9 out of 10, said that the term judgmental accurately describes present-day Christianity. Now, to be fair, there may be some instances with that where there are certain whatever, beliefs or positions a church would just have to take that someone might be turned off by, but there it is. Still, that's a troubling statistic, but all the more, the second one, 84%, well over 8 out of 10, said that they personally know at least one committed Christian, okay, but just 15% thought the lifestyles of those Christ followers were significantly different from the norm. Just 15%, significantly different from the norm. Now, how... Can you and I begin to change that perception? Well, we start with ourselves. We start with a very simple understanding of what grace is. Not just grace, though, what sin is. Luke 15 has three of the best known parables we know of, and there are really four key characters that you find in each of these parables that Jesus launches into after the grumblers are grumbling, the religious folk. And it's obviously the lost sheep, the lost coin, and in the final parable there are two, the lost son and the lost brother. And I wonder how when Jesus launched into these three parables, how the Pharisees and and religious folk perceived those stories because my guess would be that they were thinking, oh, well obviously you know, the sinners in each of those stories are those other people that Jesus is trying to get us to love, right? <laughs> problem is they're not realizing those people are them too. He's talking about them, that those religious folk are these characters who are sinners in need of grace. And that's a critical way of moving from grumbling to grace is seeing ourselves in each of these key characters. How often do we hear these parables and, and, and point them outward? And apply them to those poor sinners that, yes, we're called to reach, but how often do we honestly point it at ourselves? Seeing ourselves in these characters. You know, <laughs> otherwise it's nice because we can point it outward and keep these characters and the messages they have to us at arm's length. A lot easier to, to to take the speck out of the other person's eye, right, than get the log out of our own. You know, how often do we see these characters in these parables? not as them, but as us. I want you to look for yourself this morning, and I would just invite you to find yourself in at least one of these characters, in at least one of them. I want you to look for yourself and see if there is some facet of sin that you're struggling with even right now. Now, what's the first one? Well, we could... This is alliterative. It's so Baptist, y'all. They all start with N. It just happened that way. So the Holy Spirit led me to be alliterative with this. First of all, you have the nibbler, the sheep, the nibbler. Years ago, I heard an elderly black pastor get up and say, you know, why did that sheep get separated? How come that sheep got separated from the fold? You know how he got separated? Nibbling, nibbling. He was nibbling. He was nibbling on some grass, he was looking down at that grass and it tasted so good and he didn't waste any time. He wanted more grass, so he just kept looking down and moved on and kept nibbling all across the pasture and down through the valley and up around the bend and way out of sight, way far away from everybody. And he kept looking down, kept on nibbling, kept on nibbling, kept on nibbling. Finally, he looked up. He was lost. He was helpless. He was vulnerable to those wild beasts in grave danger. Now, can you connect with this nibbler in some way? I want you to just, you know, let's pull down the curtain, let's pull down the veneer of spirituality or sophistication or whatever, can you connect with this n- Nibbler on some level? Some, Maybe it's some transgression in your life that seemed harmless at first, and you just kept looking down, you know, not seeing it for what it was and seeing it for how it was affecting you, seeing for how it was leading you astray. But now it's kind of getting you lost, and it can get you into a dangerous place. It could be a relationship. It can be handling of money. It can be uh, sex. It can be cheating. It can be medication. It can be alcohol. You know the list. It can be porn. It can be an attitude you have. It could be a grudge that you're holding, and you're enjoying feeding that grudge, that anger. It could be jealousy that you're feeding, and you're just loving it, but it's getting you to a place where you don't need to be, and you're lost and vulnerable. And you need to stop feeding it, and God wants you to stop feeding it. You know, Maybe you need to speak the truth in love. I always think of that phrase in Ephesians, speak the truth in love. I always think of speaking it to other people, because they need to know my truth in love to them. Maybe we need to speak the truth in love this morning to ourselves. Maybe you need to speak the truth in love to yourself and acknowledge whatever sin it is. Move from you know judging others to the confession of your own sin. Boy, that can move you from grumbling about others to rejoicing in your being rescued from that sin with which you are struggling. So you have the nibbler. And then you have the numb, the coin. Remember the coin this woman searches for with such intensity and such passion? She's got to find it. Interesting about the coin is what? It's an inanimate object. It doesn't live. It doesn't breathe. It's completely and utterly unalive, right? It exists in complete and utter numbness to the living world. And I wonder if in some way you might find yourself in that coin. You become a little numb to your walk with Jesus. It doesn't feel personal like it once did. No, it doesn't breathe life. It's it's dull and dry and flat, and lifeless, like a coin. Maybe you've become jaded about the faith. Maybe you've become jaded about people. Uh, Maybe you've become jaded about the church. That happens. But deep down, you do wish you could get back to that intense passion that you had in your walk with God, that passionate personal faith that you did have you so wish you could echo those wonderful opening words of David in Psalm 42 1 do you remember that it's like he's yearning to have that yearning Psalm 42 1 as a deer longs for a stream of cool water so I long for you O God I wish I could get back to that and just really long for God the way that I used to I love the way the message puts it uh verses one and two it says a white-tailed deer drinks from the creek I want to drink God, deep draughts of God. I'm thirsty for God alive. I wonder, will I ever make it arrive and drink in God's presence? And there probably was a time where you did arrive and drink draughts of God, and you were so so filled by it, and your spiritual quest was so quenched by that. But now that 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 stream of living water feels bone dry. And your faith is like a lifeless coin. I wonder if you can find yourself on some level with the numbness of that coin. Maybe you need to get over some jadedness or some, just some spiritual flatness and just drink deeply from God's grace again. So you've got the nibbler. You've got the numb. And then you got lost son. We can call him the no-count you know, technically, because my mom was an English teacher, it's the no account. But in the South, we save a syllable, we'd say the no count. They're no count. We're talking about the son here. What does a no count mean? It means they're worthless or they feel worthless. And think about the prodigal son by the time he has already spent all that money on whatever, and he finds himself here in the mud with the pigs. No doubt he senses his no countness, his unworthiness. And you might, I don't know, see yourself in a similar mess right now, or you feel like you are a mess, and you're feeling kind of no count, and I wonder if maybe it's time to turn back to the arms of God and His embrace of loving grace that He so freely offers to you every second of the day. But in this case, moving from grumbling to grace, it's really not you grumbling about others. You're probably grumbling about yourself, saying, you know what? I don't deserve his love. I'm unworthy of his grace. Yeah, join the club. You know, I don't deserve his forgiveness. I am so inadequate, so worthless. But, but God is definitely telling you, stop grumbling and grant yourself some grace. We're, we're so good often as Christians at imparting grace to others. We're not always good at embracing it for ourselves, are we? And that grace is already being offered to you even at this moment. But you've been struggling with it. Maybe there's some area within your soul where you are feeling no count, and you're needing his touch of grace. So maybe you connect with that nibbler who's nibbling along into something, towards something that's unhealthy, or or, or the coin that's just spiritually dry and arid, or maybe, maybe it's, it's the no count, and you're just feeling kind of worthless in some way, not worthy of God's love, though he wants to impart that to you. Or you could be, God bless him, the naysayer, the older brother, and yes, lost brother. You remember, the, the, toward the end of it, you know, the brother can't believe they've killed the fatted calf. They're having a celebration for the, for the no count brother who came back, and they're throwing a party for him because of his repentance. The father invites the older brother, to the party. And it's interesting how Jesus ends the parable, isn't it? He leaves it open-ended. You don't know if the older brother joins the celebration or not. Kind of lets us finish it. What's Jesus doing? Saying, what are you going to do? Especially with people that you don't think deserve grace. I think he's especially aiming this character at those Pharisees and religious leaders who are grumbling. But he's aiming it at us as well. It's for us. Are you being an elder brother in some way, you know, are you jealous because of the good that has come along to someone you don't like? (laughs) Are you resentful that someone is being shown so much grace when at some moment you don't think you were being shown it? Are you holding a grudge against someone for whom there is some good that's coming along and you're kind of feeding that anger, feeding perhaps that envy, it's not fair that they are being treated so lovingly or that good fortune has come their way and not me. And maybe what Jesus is saying to you, stop grumbling about them and grant them the same grace that God has granted you. I remember, and I may have shared this some time ago, I, I can't recall, but, but I, I do appreciate the story of Billy Graham when his daughter uh, drove him to a function at the White House um, uh, many years ago when Bill Clinton was in office, and this was right after the Monica Lewinsky scandal broke and everything. And uh, Graham went to this dinner with a lot of uh, uh, you know, prestigious people there, a lot of dignitaries and all, and he sat pretty far from where President Clinton was, but he made it a point during the dinner to get up and walk across the room uh, to greet President Clinton. President Clinton stood up and hugged him, and, and they talked for a bit, And Billy Graham gave him some encouraging words, patted him on the back, hugged him again, and went back and sat down. (laughs) And he reflected later that there really were some eyes just kind of watching him, you know, and probably grumbling. And when his daughter was taking him home, uh, she said, you know, Dad, how how could you do that? How could you do that after this disgusting thing he's been into? And you know he's guilty of that and everything. And he said, I did that because I love him. That's what Jesus wants me to do. And then he said this, and she said, he said it so concisely, but it just came out, and it's just such good truth. He said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge, and it's my job to love. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. It's my job to love. Now, let me just ask, do you see yourself in at least one of these characters, the nibbler or the numb or the no count or the naysayer, you know, the sheep who has wandered off or is wandering off into dangerous territory or the coin who is spiritually dry or the son who has hit rock bottom or the older brother who can't get over judging and grudging? My, my, my guess is you are in there somewhere with at least one of those characters right now. So the question is, are you and I going to do something about that? You know, just as we can all find ourselves in these four characters, I hope and pray for you that, that we, and, and me that we can all find ourselves often in a well-stated sinner's prayer. <laughs> and there are different sinner's prayers that are very informal, there are some that are more formal, And I was reading back through the Book of Common Prayer recently, which is of the Episcopalian uh, uh, tradition, and I wound up changing it from plural to singular and just kind of applying it to me, (laughs) and I found that a helpful spiritual discipline in in grappling with the sin in my life. It it might speak to you as well. It, It just covers a lot of ground in just a few lines, but uh, let me just read it, and I want you to look at the words as I read them. I'm not going to you know, make us recite it, but, but I want you to just look at the words. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I want to say that whole thing again. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done, and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. That's where you and I need to go. And I wonder if there's some way you need to go there this morning. It's between you and God. Is there some place where you need to go and confess to Him? You and maybe it's only you and Him who know. But if we can bring ourselves to confess and receive God's grace this morning, we're more able to share it with others. No, that's a simple concept, but it's taking that step of confessing our own sin that we can be showered by that grace and impart that grace to others. And this is represented by a third group in the parable of the prodigal son. Third group of characters, the grace givers, the servants. It's a beautiful thing where Uh, the son repents, and the father immediately says, well, well, the son says, just treat me as one of your slaves. I'm so sorry. The dad says what? He looks to the servant and says, hurry, go get a robe. There's the robe. Why does he tell the servant to go get a robe? Why? Because when someone comes back from a journey and you cloak them in a robe, it means to treat them like royalty. Treat them like royalty. Isn't that what the church should be doing, by the way? Can I ask you this? sinners in the gospels did they run to jesus or away from him (laughs) they ran to him i hope and pray that that's what our church represents sinners will want to run here and not stay away go get that robe and then go get do you remember the other thing he says go get a ring for the finger which is what you got the family signet there meaning yes you are family get on in here we need to remember that you and me, when we have been down and out and hit rock bottom, and we are all beggars. And uh, that was Martin Luther's final words before he breathed his last on this earth. He said, "Verset Petler, hockes varum. We are beggars. That is true. That was his last words. Great word, truthful word. And and I, and I wonder if sometimes. Us fellow broken beggars need to just have a place like this where we can come limping back into the fold and remember that we have family. So get that robe, get that ring, and then what? Get sandals for the feet because only slaves back then did not wear sandals. He is saying in so many words, you are no no longer enslaved to that sinful life you were living. You are no, no longer enslaved to that sin with which you've been struggling and even if you do struggle with it, again, stay close. Stay close to the family and let us love you through that. And what I love is the servants here don't stop and hesitate and say, wait a minute, you want us to go do that? Get a robe and a ring and sandals. Do you know what your son has been into? They didn't do and say what the elder brother says later. Do you know what he's been into? Well, wait a minute, don't you want to you know, put him on probation? You want to scold him? No, I just want to forgive him. And what's cool about these servants is they don't hesitate. They immediately follow the command of the master. He tells them what to do, which is basically to bring back these symbols of grace and love and unconditional acceptance. And they don't hesitate. Isn't that the church, folks? He is commanding us to clothe people in grace to let them know that they have family to let them know they don't have to be enslaved to sin they can find help (laughs) because when it gets down to it we are all broken sinners with feet of clay in need of grace that's where we need to be so simple question where in your life this morning are you needing grace and, and based on this word, our hope and prayer is that you will confess it to Jesus so that you can confess grace to those who need it. You can contribute to the missional mandate of this good church by being a better confessor so that having been redeemed again, you can take it out to those who need redemption. Let's bow and pray for just a second. I want to give you a chance just in, in silent prayer just to confess whatever it is you need to share with Him, however simply you need to word it. You know, you can even just rely on the Holy Spirit, as it says in Romans 8. If if it's hard to put into words, let the Spirit do the talking. But just think about that which you need to get straight between yourself and God today. Let me give you just a chance to do a little business with Him right now and confess whatever it is you need to confess and receive His love. Lord, we are all beggars, that is true, broken, uh, disabled by our sinful ways, desperately in need of your grace. For some of us, Lord, it's a matter of embracing that grace for ourselves, and we pray for those for whom that's difficult, whether it's because of perfectionism or something that they feel just so utterly guilty about, but pray this morning that they would embrace that loving grace. We pray that those who need to seek help with whatever it is they're struggling with, that they would do just that, uh, realizing that that all of us need to lean on one another. We ask ultimately that, that we would trust that by our confession we are forgiven and are a forgiven people. And because of that, we realize how critical it is that we get out there to share it with people who so desperately need it. Make us disciplined confessors of our sins, O God, that we might be disciplined confessors on mission in the world. So be with us during this time of commitment, O God. We pray these things in your name. Amen.